Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. MD, I go by many nicknames. My mother called me Billy Boy. Some other people call me not such nice things, but that's the way it is. So uh, we're doing a show. I got Joe with me. Ken's, I guess he's at the Gasparilla being a pirate. For those of you who don't know about Gasparilla, that's sort of like our Mardi Gras here in the Tampa Bay area. And it has to do with Quartz Gasparilla with with pirates and arg. So I'm happy for him. I hope he has fun. He said he's going to be on a float. Is that true, Joe? I mean, that's, uh, I don't know if that's true, but I am 100% down with spreading that rumor. There you go. So this just in from, uh, well, not just in, it just reported in, in our press, but from last September, drinking two to three cups of coffee, including ground, instant, or decaffeinated coffee, is... Now, as a, associated with a decrease in new cardiovascular, you know, heart diseases and death compared with avoiding coffee. And this is from the UK Biobank. So that's pretty cool. You know, I've been saying for years that, that we're, we're going overboard with this don't drink coffee. And we tell a lot of our patients that or we've told a lot of our patients that over the years who have high blood pressure or uh uh, heart rhythm disturbances now ground in instant coffee, but not decaf actually decrease new onset rhythm disturbances like atrial fibrillation and palpitations. Go figure, <laughs> you know, it's, it goes back and forth, but I, I think this hysteria over coffee over the years has just been uh, kind of stupid really, but what are you going to do? You got to go with the flow, man. You got to go with the flow. Now, We've got uh, Tyree Nichols up there in Memphis who was killed, and Joe and I were talking about that. He was 29 years old, and his mother said he was a good boy. He, he was living with his mother and, I guess, his stepfather. His mother, Rovon Wells, said he liked to skateboard, and I guess he had a young son, but I don't know if he was living with that son. I doubt it. Uh, and we saw the videos of the police who really went overboard. I mean, they're 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 going to prison. You know that for sure. Uh, we have to look at this in light of putting uh, some restrictions and dampers not only on the police but on our own actions and interactions. And we can say, well, you know, we don't know the whole story what this guy really did and what went on before and after. And I think that regardless of what happened, once he's down. You know, he's down. You don't do anything else. You cuff him, put him in the back of the car. I did have one uh, deputy sheriff in my practice years ago, and I don't know if you remember this, guys, but uh, there was uh, there was a an episode where he actually put this perp in the car, young man, and I guess the guy was giving him lips, so he shot him in the stomach. 
while he was handcuffed in the back of his cruiser. So we have to, and we're all human. We all lose it from time to time. But when you have a nightstick, when you have uh, a taser, when you have a gun in your hand, when you got steel-toed boots on, you need to show a little bit more restraint, I think. Um, so these guys are going to jail. That's that's too bad. I, I think that one of the uh, questions that came out, because all what was it, four or five officers, six officers, they were all black and they were all part of a special force uh, that the police department had created. And I heard one of the uh, pundits on TV ask, why does this always happen to black men? And I think that that's, that's worth discussing because we have to put it into the context of uh, how black Americans were treated and how they were uh, cast into uh, lower socioeconomic situations by virtue of having been brought here in slavery. And uh, so it takes time to get over uh, this this sort of, uh, of uh, societal ill. And it takes time to absorb a former slave population. But we're doing it, you know. I, I have two employees now whose parents are white and black. They're mixed. And uh, so it, it's going to take a little bit more time. But Let's face it, though, still, for whatever reasons, the the crime is higher in the young black male community. That still doesn't give you the right to beat the crap out of somebody. So we we need to see some justice here. But more importantly, we need some civilian oversight boards that look at the police that have uh, the power to discipline uh, bad actors in the police department and to fire them. But there's very few jurisdictions that will allow that because they they say, well, you know, you don't know what it is to be a policeman and doctors don't police themselves. So why should we? Well, actually, I mean, doctors do police themselves. So why should we? Um, well, actually, we don't. We've got layers and layers of people. You know, the the, uh, the utilization review people or nurses and administrators, the quality assurance or nurses and administrators, the state board, although it's uh, composed of physicians at the at the council level, everybody underneath are their, their secretaries, their nurses, their lawyers. And uh, we, we just do not have a situation where, where we are free to uh, oversight ourselves. We don't do it. So I think the police need to wake up and realize that they need some oversight too. I mean, this is not uh, this is not a free for all, nor should it be. I mean, they shouldn't. Nobody should be allowed to do whatever they want to do. You know what I'm saying? And uh, so I think it's important that we push for some uh, oversight committees to look at at the misbehavior and bad acts of the police. I'd include the FBI in that too. I think that uh, especially when we see what they have been doing uh, by entering into politics and uh, uh, putting out false information about uh, candidates and uh, politicos that they don't like, this this is just wrong. They should not be involved in that. We should have a civilian overview of the police, to, uh, of the FBI as well. So that's my that's my little blurb on that. Meanwhile, up in Haines City, uh, Polk County, or over, I should say, that's that's east of me, I do believe, isn't it, Joe? That is correct, yes. Uh, the police chief up there issued a little warning to would-be uh, criminals that in Florida, 
if you go into somebody's home, uh, expect to possibly be shot. And apparently uh, two burglars were in a gas home and he came in and uh, he pulled his gun and he started firing. He, he hit one of them uh, and the other one ran away. I guess they're they're looking for him or they've caught him. This was a day or two ago. Uh, and the, the police chief said, what do you expect? They're committing an unlawful act in somebody's private property. Uh, they're entering the home with malintent. So there's going to be repercussions. And he warned uh, people, and I guess this is especially true in Polk County, a lot of us are armed. A lot of us are armed. And uh, I don't have a problem with that as long as there's uh, legitimate oversight, you know, uh, waiting periods and background checks and all that. And, and the uh, chief is Chief Gorick. So he responded to that. Um, and I think it's important to to realize that if you are carrying a gun legally uh, with a permit and you're on your in your own home and you're being uh, assaulted or robbed or whatever, you got the right to shoot. That that's uh, I think that goes back to old English law that goes back thousands of years. You know, self-preservation is the first law. If you don't get that one down, as I've said over and over. Uh, you ain't going to make it. You got to think of self-preservation. And that's important. Well, down in Jackson, Mississippi, apparently they're having problems with uh, with their water system. Uh, there's a water crisis and they're going to have to turn off the water intermittently. I guess the, from what I can understand from the, uh, from the article that I read, the the infrastructure of the pipes, the water mains and all that are old and they're breaking. And, and so I guess the city has decided that uh, they're going to have to replace the whole system. Well, of course, if they do that, there's going to be uh, times when the water will be off. And I'm, I think that the press is probably making this more dramatic than it is. But I, I understand that they're losing population. They've lost 10 percent of their population in the past several years. And uh, the city fathers are blaming this on on the water problem in the city. I guess, it, you know, it, it would make sense that if you don't have the infrastructure and you don't have the services that you want and that you're paying for, that you're going to say, hey, adios, amigo. I think we're seeing the same thing in New York and California where people are saying, I've had enough of this. I'm paying for the police. I'm paying for services and I ain't getting it. Uh, but uh, we're glad to have them down here. We welcome you. Please come and see us down in Florida. We'd love to have you down here. Uh, the state continues to grow. I think we're growing faster than any other state. So, and, and you know, the thing about California is with all their green push, you know, where they're buying oil? Ecuador. They're buying gas and oil from Ecuador. And they so they're relying on foreign oil. And this costs a lot more than domestic oil. And it also adds to pollution because you got to put this stuff on on uh, oiler ships. And what are they burning? They're burning a diesel fuel or something close to it. So they're polluting the air uh, more than if you had uh, drilled a well and pumped it out of your own backyard. But the the, the crazy people out there, the the, the leaders, that they're just not getting this. But the state senator Shannon uh, Grove. She's a senator in the in the uh, California state legislature. She's been following this for a decade now, and uh, she's been pushing for 
some openness on this and uh, bring this to light. And remember, if you have to ship something from a thousand miles away, it's going to cost a lot more than if you get it out of your own backyard. Not to mention the the pollution that is involved in in uh, in in bringing this across the oceans up to California. So it, it doesn't make any sense. Uh, and there's further restrictions being proposed. And then we had these crazy people like Al Gore and uh, our former uh, ambassador, our former uh, head of the State Department uh, at the uh, World Economic Meeting talking about how wonderful it is that all these people have gotten together to fight global warming and that this is a this is an existential event that's going to kill the earth the, the, the earth will perish well the earth is going to perish i mean if, if it's possible that we could kill ourselves with our own hydrocarbon uh, byproducts and waste uh, then the earth would still be here, Joe. <laughs> it ain't going nowhere. <laughs> we we ain't doing nothing to the earth. As you're you're exactly right about that. And if and if so, and if, you, if you're right, if we did wipe ourselves out, um, which I'm with you, I'm I'm very very skeptical that that eventuation could occur. But let's say it did. Okay, then as far as the earth is concerned, we were a momentary nuisance, and it will just continue going on. And it will, and whatever it is that we did will clear itself up over a period of time, and whatever life form that's going to continue after that will go on and continue after that until the sun burns out. That's the only, the only threat to the earth is the sun burning out, and that's we got a while before we have to worry about that. Well, we're all going to be ground back into stardust eventually. And, of course, I don't want to die, uh, and I, I don't want to see uh, us... Uh, adding to any any climate problems but we also need to be honest and have some real reality injected into this and we need to see the data and the research on where we are in position from the sun because the earth wobbles and tilts and as it you know as it, it gets a little bit closer a little bit further away that affects our weather and our heat and these guys and you know like al gore they're saying that uh, the the droughts and the the storms and all that are uh, uh, more more prevalent than they were in years past. I can't see that. I mean, I I can remember from infancy that there were droughts and there were uh, hurricanes and there were bad storms and uh, you know it, it it doesn't make any sense to me. I mean the 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 idea that we should get rid of or not be as dependent as we are on fossil fuel is fine with me, but. You have to have the infrastructure. Uh, you know, I bought an electric car. I've told you guys this. And uh, you have to really plan if you're going to drive any distance because you have to know where the charging stations are. You have to know if there uh, if there is a spot that's available. And there are some apps that have that now. And you also have to know whether it's only for Tesla or if you can use uh, the non-Tesla hookup. What I did is I went out and bought the uh, the adapter so I could hook up to the Teslas, but uh, I did that after we drove over to Coral, uh, Cape Coral and uh, and the, and the, the Space Coast uh, because I realized that when we parked in some areas, the charging stations that we had found on the apps were only for Tesla. So you got to have the infrastructure. And in the meantime, what do we do? Do we stop everything? Do we stop production? Do we stop uh, shipping? Do we stop driving our cars to work? How are we going to get to work? I mean, I, I don't have a problem with making kids walk to school and uh, having families move closer to their school so that they locate uh, near to where their 
their resources are. But what if some guy works up in uh, up in Pasco County and his wife wants to live down here in Pinellas so the kids can go to a certain public school that she likes and she's comfortable with? Well, you know, you got a problem then. You're going to have a guy driving an hour each way to get up to work. And that, of course, is going to burn oil. And even if you have the kids walking to school, which I think would be healthier for the kids, uh, it's still going to be uh, a logistical problem because of the way our society has evolved in terms of the workforce and uh, the uh, decentralization of a lot of the services. So it's it's a problem. And, you know, the, the biggest example of this uh, is the uh, bird flu, the avian flu that's killing off all the chickens. And on top of that, you have this dramatic increase in the cost of, of uh, shipping and uh, the cost of, uh, of feed and the cost of manpower and labor and the farms. And so guess what? We got an egg shortage. <laughs> the prices have doubled. Can you believe that? They have doubled in a year. They, my wife was shopping yesterday. She couldn't find any at Sam's Club. They had no eggs at Sam's Club. They were out. So she went to Publix up the street from us here, and she said it was $9 a dozen. And last year in, at Publix, it was $5 a dozen. So uh, yeah. we, we have to inject some, uh, some reasonableness into the formula here. And I don't have a problem, again, with, with going to all electric cars, but how are you going to generate the electricity for electric cars? You're not going to be able to do it with the, uh, the solar and the wind. That ain't going to work. Uh, it's just not, maybe in the future when they are become more efficient and the storage of electricity becomes more efficient, but there's still only about 10 to 20% efficiency compared to 40 to 50% for a coal or, or gas burning uh, uh, power plant. So... I, I I don't, I mean, I know what the answer is, but I don't know how to implement it, if you understand what I'm saying. So there's there's a problem there. We'll have to see what happens. And I think that uh, as far as the egg, egg shortage goes, uh, we'll have to solve that sooner rather than later, because guess what, Joe? That's my only source of protein. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's an issue. I mean, egg, that's that's one of the the staples, right? I mean, there's bread, milk, eggs. I mean, that's that's that that there doesn't seem like there should be a good reason for that sort of a spike for something that's as basic as eggs, which come from chickens. Which you know, what are we talking about here? Well, we're talking about uh, multifactorial again, the avian flu and the supply chain crisis and the increased cost of uh, of. Uh, gas and, and oil and, and diesel and uh, um, manpower, labor, you know, all this talk about uh, minimum wage. Well, I said before the Democrats took over with Joe Biden and all this wanting a minimum wage. I said, you don't have to have a minimum wage. The market is, it's, a, it's an employee's market. It's not an employer's market. And we see this in our practice. Uh, if we don't pay the, the women uh, what they want, They'll go somewhere else because we were paying them twelve to fifteen dollars ten years ago, and now we're up to twenty to twenty-five, and the minimum wage is still below twelve dollars. So it doesn't make any sense to demand minimum wage. Let the market work it out, and it will. Well, in truth, it's always been like that, and like I, the 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 notion. This has always been the problem with sort of the whole minimum wage argument, as far as I'm concerned, is that. The, the cost of doing business is the cost of doing business. And it's not 
something that somebody just decides, okay, I'm going to pay this much to do it. Like, the amount that you have to pay it in order to run a business is what it is based on the marketplace. And employees, labor, that's all part of the marketplace. It's so, all, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, if, if you have a, an, a, an amount of your overhead, you know, the amount that you can put into the business that you're running that is apportioned for labor – and then that amount is then increased for no reason that has anything to do with the marketplace. It just gets, you know, politically, it gets raised. Well, what are you going to do about that? This is this is kind of the point. You mentioned, oh, we'll just say $12 an hour. Um, and look, I got nothing against anybody that does anything, right? Like, <laughs> whatever you do, whatever you're making, I'm, I'm all for it. I'm just talking about the reality of the situation. The reality of the situation is if my business model calls for a plan that pays a certain amount for a particular job that gets done, and then I'm told that that has to now increase by whatever. If it's 20%, if it's 10 whatever it is, that increase is something that I'm now going to have to do something about. And the way that I'm going to do something, what I'm going to do about that is usually one of a couple of different options. I'm either going to stop doing that business because it's no longer profitable to do it. And, you know, you can hate profit, but there's no reason for anybody else to do business. There's no reason for anybody to get in business except for to obtain a profit, period, point blank. That's the, that's the way of the world. You don't go to work unless you're going to get paid. Well, neither does anybody else. That's just the way it is. So you then say, okay, I'm now going to have to adjust to this increase in labor. And this isn't a matter of right or wrong or good and evil. This is a matter of cause and effect, right? You just say, okay, if that's the way it is, then I'm either going to not do that work anymore or I'm going to move to a place where I don't have this burden or, and you're seeing this all over the place now, I'm going to automate things. Like how that. Not only that, Joe, I, I, I think that uh, you also have to get leaner. That automation is part of that. Now, with, with medicine, with us, you know, we're very uh, highly regulated. Most of us are, are tied to the Medicare rates and, and to the uh, insurance companies and what they'll pay. There's not that much uh, self-pay in, in the United States yet. And so uh, we have to figure out how to get leaner because we're not making you know, we're not going to be able to make it up by raising our prices. Uh, so we have to be more efficient. We have to cut down on our overhead. We have to uh, negotiate with our suppliers to get cheaper medications, cheaper supplies. Um, you know, I got on the phone and uh, we needed a new autoclave, which is what we use to sterilize our surgical tools. And so I got on the phone and called around and I found a company down in Miami and uh, got a pretty good deal on a refurbished uh, uh, unit because the new ones are costing four or five, six thousand dollars. I can't afford that. I mean, that's a lot of money for me to pay. Uh, I think I paid fourteen hundred for this, and they gave me a couple hundred for my old one, sent it back. So you got to get leaner, uh, but there comes a point in automation, of course. But there comes a point when there's not much more you can do you know? except go out of business. Yeah, yeah, except close your business. And, and what a lot of the young doctors are doing is they're not going into private practice. Joe, they're going into uh, big HMO groups and clinics and hospital-owned groups. And, uh, you know, they're basically co-opting uh, less office space. And uh, a lot of them are becoming hospitalists where they only work in the hospital. And they take the admissions from the emergency room and any of the other doctors in the community that want them to admit for them. And then they uh, hold the cost down because they get patients out of the hospital faster. The way the, the uh, uh, 
Medicare works is they give you diagnostically regulated group fees. So for pneumonia, uncomplicated pneumonia, they'll say, well, we'll pay for three days and for antibiotics and chest X-ray and labs. And after that, it's, it's up to you. So the hospitals are trying to get the patients out within three days. The doctors, uh, some of the doctors, not all of us, but a few of them have been really, really egregious in, in, in keeping people in the hospital for long-term stays for no real reason. And uh, so uh, this is a, a good and a bad thing. We do have an occasional patient who gets sent home early. And I had the uh, the medical director of, of utilization review call me a year, year and a half ago and said, you know, this patient doesn't really meet criteria. And I said, well, if I send him home, he'll be right back. And he said, well, you know, we, we can't see that, the nurses and I that are in the utilization review department. And I said, okay. I sent him home. He came back and he was there for another two weeks after that. But these are part of the pains of, of growing into this new this new society that we're creating. We have to remember too, that the pandemic has really altered uh, the workplace uh, and uh, you know, the increase in immigration, illegal and legal uh, is in part because of the demand for more, more laborers. Uh, we've seen a lot of people who during the pandemic realized they didn't want to work that hard anymore. And they realized that they could make more money by being free agents rather than being on staff at the hospital. They could be traveling nurses or whatever. And uh, of course, this also breeds problems like fraud. And we had that situation in, in uh, South Florida over in the Miami area where 7,600 uh, fraudulent nursing degrees were sold. And some of the people who are getting these are are like Haitian nurses who come here and want to take the, the state board, but they can't take it unless they have a, a U.S. or a Florida uh, nursing license. But a lot of them are, are people who, who are just trying to uh, skip the schooling, and so they'll get these degrees, and then if they sit for the board and pass it, then they're a nurse. They're an RN or an LPN, and that's, that's – uh, I mean, it, it's 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 wrong in that it it doesn't follow the rules and it puts us in jeopardy because we may have people out there who are not uh, capable and not well trained. Uh, but I think 25 or 30 people are going to prison over this, and uh, I guess it's big business, big business. So we see that, and we see we see other problems that are arising. Um, how do we handle this? Well, I think that we have to go back to uh, some basic structure, and uh, otherwise we're just going to have chaos and uh, anarchy, and we have to remember that without rules and regs and laws, uh, there are people in our society who will not behave appropriately. <laughs> you know, they're not going to they're not going to do what they're supposed to do. And, you know, it's just like little kids. You got to my son didn't want to go to school. I don't care. Get out of bed. Go to school. Um, he wanted to, when he was a youngster, he wanted to smoke pot and hang out. I kicked him up and down the steps a couple of times and uh, told him if he did that again, he was out. He'd go live with his, his mother, and she had a closet for his bedroom. So he changed his behavior. But you got to implement some kind of rules and regulations, and you have to be able to enforce it. And uh, that's not always pleasant. Uh, for those who are at the wrong end of it. And it does lead to abuses like we saw with uh, Tyree Nichols. 
But that's the way it is, buddy boy. Well, we're getting close to break time, Joe. You got a question for everybody? We are getting close to break time. And, you know, this uh, this this weekly question is no. And now, just to set this up, the reason that we do this is because there is a special prize associated with it. And I always want to make sure that I don't bury the lead. So what is the prize for answering the question for, or an- correctly answering today's question, Doc? You get two beautiful Dr. Bill Radio MD mugs, and they're really nice mugs. And uh, it's it's a big uh, sacrifice on my part because it cost me more to ship it to you than I paid for them. <laughs> but that's okay. I love you guys, and I want to show you that, that I appreciate you being out there for me. So give us a question, Joe. Okay, so this one's hard, right? This one's going to be really, really hard. But if you've listened to the Dr. Bill show for any amount of time, this shouldn't be too difficult for you. Tell me, Tell us the city... Or the town, however you want to define it. The city or the town where the Canclare Clinic is located. Because that's an important thing. That's where the doc is working every day. So if you can't, and again, you know, you may even get some clues here during the break. So if you can tell us what that is, then that mug is all but yours. Give him a number, buddy. Give him a number. That would be 877-969-8600. That is 1-877-969-8600. And you are just those digits away from getting a free mug if you can answer the question. Good job. We'll be right back. This is Dr. Bill and Joe, and we're having a fun time this morning. So give us a coffee break and come on back. Take it back to that feeling of when you get in that healing of that real hip hop. The sensation is real appealing. Now we willing and dealing for bigger deals across the table. Here's the latest from the Answer News Center. With SRN News, I'm Michael Harrington in Washington. He's off and running. Former President Donald Trump kicking off his 2024 White House bid with stops Saturday in New Hampshire and South Carolina. The appearances in the early voting states mark the first campaign event since Mr. Trump officially announced he's getting into the race about two months ago. They also come at a critical point as rivals prepare their own expected challenges. It's been leaked that Florida Governor Ron DeSantis is formally doing an exploration of a chance to run for president in 2024. Amazon is ending free grocery delivery for Prime members on orders less than $150. It says customers who get their groceries delivered from Amazon Fresh and pay less than $150 will be charged between 4 and 10 bucks. And federal prosecutors tried to prohibit former FTX founder Sam Bankman-Fried from privately contacting current and former employees and tampering with witnesses. This is SRN News. This is AM860, The Answer. Listen on our website, theanswertampa.com. 93.7 FM. W229DJ Dunedin. By downloading The Answer Tampa app or on TuneIn or Odyssey. Dr. Bill for Bay Area Medical. Located at 6399 38th Avenue North in St. Pete. 727-384-6411. 727-384-6411. Full service clinic with x-ray, heart imaging, ultrasound, stress testing, and minor surgery. We provide quality health care in a warm and friendly atmosphere. We are multilingual, well-trained, and certified. Most American insurance and new patients accepted. Bay Area Medical, home of CanCare, 727-384-6411, 727-384-6411. Dr. Bill here. With social distancing and sheltering in place, telemedicine is here. Bay Area Medical, home of CanCare Clinic, offers telemedicine for new and established patients. You can see me without an office visit. Schedule an appointment at 727 384 6411 727 384 6411 
When it's time for your appointment, type this web address into your cell phone or computer web browser, doxy.me forward slash Bay Area Med. A cell phone works well and is all you really need. For computers, you need a web camera and speakers. We'll give you this address when you call for your appointment. We accept most insurances and travel insurances. Canadians and visitors, please call your travel insurance company for an authorization number prior to the visit. Co-pays and deductibles apply. Self-pay rates are available. Just ask. We accept credit cards, PayPal, and Stripe. 727-384-6411. 727-384-6411. Dr. Bill here. My friends at St. Pete MRI and Sleep Diagnostics are your best choice for state-of-the-art MRI, CT, and sleep studies. Quality unsurpassed. 25 years experience makes St. Pete MRI my go-to imaging center. Self-pay rates are competitive and out-of-pocket costs a fraction of a hospital. Conveniently accessible from both sides of the bay at 750 94th Avenue North, St. Pete, near the Gandhi, 727-577-2220, 727-577-2220. The latest from AccuWeather at the top and bottom of the hour, only on AM860, The Answer. Today we'll have sunshine and a high 65. Tonight, clear skies and a low 47. Tomorrow, partly sunny with a high 73. Tomorrow night, mostly cloudy with a low 62. Sunday, partly sunny and warm with a high 83. Get your weather news when and how you want it, wherever you are. Download our free app or visit AccuWeather.com. With your AccuWeather forecast, I'm Garrett Beck on AM860, The Answer. I'm back. This is Dr. Bill, your Radio MD. I got Joe with me today. We gave Ken the day off to go to uh, go to Gasparilla Parade and have fun. So have fun, Ken. We're thinking of you, though, buddy. So we have talked about a number of things early in the show, in the first half of the show, and now we're back. And uh, I got to tell you, I, I see a lot of Canadians in the winter, as you know, Joe. We advertise for uh, Canadians and travelers, and we accept uh, travel insurance. And we even sponsored for years uh, Prior Smith, who did the Canada Calling News show. I don't know if he's going to do that this year or not. He is doing it, actually. It's on every day at uh, 10 o'clock, Monday through Friday. Good for him. I hope he does well with it. Now, the the thing about seeing the Canadians, uh, it's just so so striking what what a disparity there is between their health care system and our health care system. And there's there's so much misinformation out there on both sides of the border about what a horrible system we have and people dying in the streets because nobody will take care of them. Of course, that's a bunch of baloney. You know, people are dying in the streets because they're they're drunks or uh, they're passing out and uh, after doing drugs and, and not breathing, you know, fentanyl and, and uh, psychiatric illnesses and and all kinds of problems that keep people out on the street. But if they come to the ER, we take care of them, and we admit them to the hospital, and they get the same care as everybody else. The big problem is the follow-up, as well as the pre-existing uh, alcohol, drug, and psychiatric conditions. But, you know, we we don't seem to have the willpower to change that right now. However, with the Canadians, they can't get care. <laughs> you know, they don't – I mean, they wait – months and even a year or two to get a get a hip done uh the doctors uh, most of the doctors are gps family practitioners and i'm not sure that all of their diagnostic skills are up to snuff uh and i had a guy come in nice guy and his i'd say he's in his late 40s early 50s uh, canadian french canadian that was fun i 
translating back and forth using Google Translate and trying to practice my French at the same time. And this guy had complaints that he had been gaining weight, uh, increasing shortness of breath with activity, uh, fatigue, and uh, symptoms of congestive heart failure. So congestive heart failure is when the heart fails to adequately pump blood to the to the body, and then you end up with blood backing up into the heart and it stretches the heart. And of course, as the heart muscle stretches, it becomes less efficient. And, and it's, so it's a, a vicious cycle. And so I said, well, let's take a look. We did a chest X-ray. He was in heart failure echocardiogram. Uh, it showed that he was at about 25 to 30% ejection fraction, which is severe. Uh, uh, decrease in the, 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 the amount of blood you squeeze out with each heartbeat. So let's say your left ventricle, the pumping chamber fills up with 100 cc's of blood uh, in each cycle, and you pump out 60 with each squeeze, then you have a 60% uh, ejection fraction. 55 is, is considered uh, low normal, and below that is abnormal. So he's down in the 25 to 30% range, and uh, uh, he's got a big problem. And how on earth he got missed by his doctors in Canada, I don't know. But I hear this from the Canadians all the time, Joe, that that uh, their doctors are retiring. They can't get in to see anybody. I had another lady come in, and she waited a year and a half to see a neurologist. A year and a half. Now, I'm sure that uh, if you're uh, in a crisis and you get taken to the ER, that, that the triage nurse will get you to the front of the line. But I have had... Numbers and numbers of people and patients tell me that if they go to the ER and they need to be admitted, and, and especially in the winter when it's busy, they may be in the hallway on a gurney for two days. Uh, we have a little bit of that here, but not because we don't have the the uh, doctors and the infrastructures because or the beds. We have enough beds. We don't have enough nurses. We don't have enough staff. Um, and that goes back to what we were talking about earlier which is the, the uh, workforce crisis and the, the uh, demand for more money. And a lot of these nurses are saying, you know what, this isn't worth it. I'm going to be a traveling nurse and they'll work three days a week and uh, make just as much money as if they worked five or six days a week because they get paid more by the agencies. Right. It, it's, and it's like I said earlier when it, with the minimum wage discussion, but it's, it's applicable here too. I mean, this isn't, this isn't a matter of right or wrong or good or evil. It's, it's cause and effect. You know, if you if you introduce these these conditions that make it attractive for people to not have to work as hard to do as well for themselves financially because of stupid regulations or what, and, and maybe that's stupid. Point is, if they're burdensome, if they and if they take away from, I mean, what are what are most people that get into these professions motivated by? They want to help people, right? I mean, that's that's usually the starting block of all of this. And, you know, listening to you kind of describe how you're trying to run your business and all this stuff that you have to juggle. Why did, why did you do all of this? Because you wanted to help people. And look at all of these hoops you have to jump through to help people. So if you create that sort of a, of a you know, series of conditions and people say, okay, fine, I'm not going to deal with this because it is too cumbersome, then what do you expect? And then you can pat yourself on the back for having a, quote, unquote, you know, free medical system. But if you can't get care, what good is it? Like, you know, if, if you're if you're dying while you're waiting for the care, then did you really solve anything? And, they, you know, they pay way more than we do. Of course. Say, Nothing's free. Say, <laughs> yeah, they say, we don't pay. Ours is free. And, uh, you know, the more enlightened uh, 
Canadians and the accountants that come down from Canada. They say, are you kidding? Our taxes, they pay federal taxes. They pay provincial. They have a provincial value-added tax. It's anywhere from 8 to 15 percent, depending on uh, which uh, which province you're in. And uh, and so, you know, they're probably paying 25, 30 percent of their of their income just for health care. That's free, that's, right? That's free. No, it's not free. Well, that's that's the point is that, like I said earlier, you're not going to go to work for free and neither is anybody else. Right? Well, there's got to be a stimulus for us to get out of bed in the morning. First of all, we have to have enough uh, ego strength to say, you know what? I'm of some value to society, even if I'm a ditch digger. I have a job, and I do it, and I do it well, and so I'm going to get up and go to work. Hey, listen, the world would be a much worse place without ditches. You know what I'm saying? Ditch diggers, oh, yeah. ditch diggers are imp- everybody that does whatever they do is important. That's you know that, and and but you're right. I mean, you have to kind of begin with that that initial. Okay, what I do is important enough. I got to get up and I got to do this. And then you need the stimulus of what's the reward? Exactly. I've got to eat. I've got to pay my rent. So I need to be uh, I need to be rewarded in some way so I can I can pay him so he can pay them so they can pay you so you can pay me. I mean that's how it works. You know it's a, it's a big circle. And uh, and you cannot like that, but that doesn't make it any less the way it is. <laughs> you know I mean, that's that's kind of the whole point here is that we're not this this is not anybody can can listen to what we're talking about and say well it shouldn't be that way, but that's the way it is, and that's the way that it has always been. And again, the the challenge is to anybody that is within the sound of our voice, you're not going to work for free. I don't even have to ask the question. I know you're not going to work for free, and also you shouldn't. Right. Like nobody should be going out here working for no, free. I mean, you know, you you denigrate yourself by uh, not expecting something in return. And I don't personally I don't have a problem with the, the circle of, of life and the circle of money. And and I don't have a problem with the uh, societal changes that come after things like the pandemic or the Black Plague. And, you know, Europe, Europe, uh, actually the whole world in the 14th century after the plague swept through, uh, you know, it cut the population down by a third. And so all of a sudden you have you have a, a, a dearth of, of workers. And prior to the plague, if you were a worker bee, you were born on a farm that was owned by a lord and you were a sharecropper and you lived your life out there and you went to the same church and you mingled with the same people and there wasn't much chance to get ahead. But after the plague swept through, guess what? The, the, the lord down the street, he said, I'll give you more. You can get, I'll pay you not only in crops, but I'll give you a little spending money. And so the kids left. They they left their their ancestral uh, uh, farms and they went somewhere else. And then that stimulated the need for more buildings. And all of a sudden, you had the uh, the uh, masons and the carpenters that uh, increased dramatically. So you had the growth of of the uh, of the skilled labor class. And then there was more intercourse between. Uh, the, the different countries, and so you had more traveling, more shipping, and all of a sudden uh, you had merchants who were worth more than the royalty. So before the plague, there were three classes. There was the royalty, the, the clergy, and the workers, and the royalty uh, maintained uh, the, uh, the structure and the uh, safety and also defended against foreign invaders, and then the, the clergy gave you spiritual and intellectual uh, guidance. Uh, that's where you learn to read. You read it out of a Bible. And um, they were also a social circle area. So everything revolved around the church. 
that these kids, uh, and it also changed the whole the whole nature of, of uh, and way that people looked at religion. Because before the plague, people said, well, you know, it, it's God's uh, doing that we've been bad or, you know, we deserve this or something like that. And the kids who watched this whole thing and survived, they said, wait a minute, Sister Mary Holywater died. She was a nice person. King Richard the 15th died and he was a great guy who never hurt anybody. And he fought for us and saved us from the, the Anglo-Saxons or the Huns or whatever. And they said, wait a minute, this whole religious thing, something's wrong here. All of a sudden, you have the Protestant Revolution. You have a complete change in the way people looked at religion. And people started to say, I don't think the Bible really says that. I think the Bible says something else. So then you had the idea that you could interpret the Bible or whatever document you were reading the way you wanted to. So I think that the pandemic has done the same thing. And in many ways, the labor force has changed. And I think in many ways, uh, outlook towards religion is changing too. And I, I don't personally have a problem with people being uh, uh, spiritual. I think it's a good thing. Uh, I think that uh, churches offer a lot of, of uh, benefit to people and to families and to communities. It gives you a, a structure around which you can circulate. And, you know, I talking to my sister, my older sister years ago, and I said, how'd you hold your marriage together all these years? She said, the Catholic Church. I said, you mean going to Mass? She said, no, stupid. The, the support system, the uh, socialization, the, the, the morals and values, the enculturation, and so that's important. But uh, I think that after we have a, a big uh, pandemic like we had in the past couple of years with these people question, uh, and certainly we are able to do much more than uh, people were a thousand years ago. And the morals and values have changed, but you've got to remember, Joe, that uh, our ability to create a new, a new disease, a new life form, I mean, that would be unimaginable. That would only be God's domain a thousand years ago. And here we are with this, with this virus that was made in the lab in Wuhan. I mean, you know, it's, it's pretty, uh, we, we have to rethink but we still have to be spiritual. We just have to have a sense of something greater than ourselves uh, that is uh, up there or down there or wherever they are. Yeah, well, I mean, that's uh, what, what you just actually described is the formation of the Star of David. Now, you may not know this, but um, the Star of David is the, um, the kind of the emblem of the uh, Jewish religion, which you know, it's 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 kind of like the, the Christian cross in many ways. It signifies, um, and and what it actually means. I I learned this from a rabbi years ago. It actually it's two triangles that are inverted, right? One's on top of the other. One of them is signifying the the uh, point that starts at the bottom and moves at the top is indicating that the world is always changing, right? From the beginning of time up until now, the world is constantly changing, constantly evolving, constantly growing and becoming something more. But at the same time, you have the other triangle that is constantly pointing up. And what that is saying is that even though the world is always changing, their God is always there. Now, the way that they interpret it versus the way that the Christians like myself interpret it, you know, can be a little bit different, but that is exactly what you just said. The way we are always evolving we are always changing we are all, but at the same time there is always that connection there's always those things about humanity and people that make them the same throughout all of the epochs and 
there's always going to be, for example, corruption. There's always going to be jealousy. There's always going to be ambition. There's always going to be goodness. There's always going to be evil. All of those things are always going to exist. But they can all exist within the rubric of today we're walking around with these little rectangles that have every bit of information human beings have ever derived at your fingertips for basically free and yet, how much like knowledge is there actually permeating around out there in the world, even though we have access to all of it? And I say that, I mean, you talk about you know what we could have, if what people could imagine we could have been able to do a couple hundred years ago. Think about what we have now that we didn't have forty years ago. And I'm talking about not just the internet, although that's pretty major. Think about things like DNA. You know, that's a f- relatively new phenomenon when you think about the 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 human experience. You know, the idea that there can be a, 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 uh, an identifier in your system that can prove crimes and, and, and other things. That's not the only thing it's used for. But, you know, think about the way that that has revolutionized, um, you know, things like criminology. And, and so, I mean, the, these are all things that were unimaginable not that long ago. Yet here we are. And on top of all of that, are we all that? Are, are, are we the sort of people that have this special ability to deal with all this new stuff that we have? I think that's another question that we have to ask ourselves. Well, I think that anytime you have uh, 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 changes and in, in discoveries in science, there's going to be a periods of adjustment. And, for instance, uh, gunpowder, it certainly changed the way war is conducted. It changed construction. It changed mining. It changed so many things. Uh, and it took time because... Uh, for people to adjust because initially they were afraid and they said, well, this is going to be the end of our world because now the, the uh, Saxons or whoever can come in and blow all, all our city walls and our, down and our houses up and then we won't have anything. But, you know, we adjust same way with the nuclear bomb. Everybody was so scared in the 50s and 60s and 70s that we were going to have a nuclear holocaust and we'd all be dead. We haven't had one yet. So uh, I, th- I think that one of the most amazing things, though, is not only the discovery of DNA by Watson and Crick, but also our learning how to manipulate it and create uh, viruses like uh, the COVID. And, and, and although that virus was already there, we did create a new strain of it by manipulating the genetics. So we're getting closer and closer to being able to uh, essentially create life. And so then we have to ask ourselves, well, I thought that was God's domain. Not necessarily. I mean, there's uh, there's certainly uh, a lot of things that we're going to uh, discover and and uh, put to use in, in the near future that are going to amaze and uh, awe, and there'll have to be adjustments, and we'll have to think about the ethics and morals of what we're doing. And I, I think that's one of the big calls that uh, has gone up over this COVID viruses. How does this happen? Who's overseeing this? And there we are. We're back to the original topic this morning, which is oversight. We got oversight of the police. We need oversight of our doctors. We need oversight of our researchers. We need oversight of our international uh, communities that are that are collaborating to do things like uh, uh, produce gain of function viruses in the lab. So we need something uh, in place that that kind of puts the screws on that and. Uh, and tightens it up when it's out of control. Uh, how we do that? Well, you know, we have our national governments, uh, but uh, we have an international uh, governing, semi-governing body with the United Nations, but that's that's not strong enough. Well, we'll see what happens. And speaking of China, did you hear where this Air Force uh, uh, 
general predicted that we'd be at war with China in 2025. Did you hear about that? I was shocked. Mike, I, I have not, no. Mike Minahan, head of the uh, Mobility Command, in a memo uh, to his superiors or whatever, but he said, we got to start preparing because we're going to be at war with China. The Chinese are going to invade Taiwan and we're going to respond. Uh, so hopefully we can keep that conflict over there or avoid it altogether. But uh, that's a little bit on the uh, on the iffy side. <laughs> you know, I don't think it would go nuclear because the Chinese would certainly not make it. Uh, you know, we have a thousand times or a hundred times more nuclear weapons than they do. But it would certainly be a big deal. And uh, I think that without the proper oversight uh, in both countries, that things can get out of hand in a hurry. Unfortunately, the hawks usually went over the doves, or fortunately. And uh, one of my friends said, well, war is evil. You know, I don't think war is either good or evil. I think the application of it and how we uh, conduct it, there's good and evil there. But you got to remember, we would not have evolved as a species if it wasn't for war. A lot of a lot of changes are brought from wars, and a lot of things uh, positive come out of wars. I mean, I was telling one of my friends, I said, "Look, IV therapy started because of the uh, soldiers who fought in in the Civil War and had lost limbs, and they had phantom limb pain, and so uh, morphine was uh, was discovered or extracted from the opium uh, poppy seeds, and uh, intravenous." Uh, Therapy started, and so if you had chronic pain, you'd get a you'd get a tourniquet and you'd get a syringe and a, a needle, a hypodermic, and you could give yourself morphine in your vein, and that's how uh, they controlled the pain because they couldn't do it with oral medications at that time. They didn't have as strong as stuff as we do, but uh, you know th it, th it changes things. Uh, IV therapy, plastic surgery, and medicine just just to name a few things. Uh, Blood transfusions, all this came about because of uh, the demand that warfare made on society to come up with, with solutions to problems like this. So, so I think that we have to uh, stop and, and think about this. We don't want war, but if it comes, then we have to be ready for it. And uh, we have to continually try to avoid it and uh, keep talking, but... Uh, there comes a time when there's just not much you can do. You know, there's just such big differences uh, that people fight each other. And that's that's really uh, good and bad. I mean, it, it, it is sad that there is uh, pain and suffering because of this, but it's also uh, a way to toughen the, the society and, the, and toughen the species up. And it does, like it or not. That's the way it is. So it's it's something that's coming, buddy boy, it's something that's coming. And I think that uh, we have to be prepared. Meanwhile, just as a final thing, this 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 uh, this chill factor, the wind chill factor really got me going. I, I said, I wonder if if uh, and by the way, it only applies below 50 degrees Fahrenheit. So above that, it's the heat index. <laughs> so any rate, so the National Weather Service looked at this, and I said, I wonder if the humidity affects the wind chill factor. And they figured out that no, it was only had about a 1% effect on it. So the wind chill factor is the temperature and the wind speed. And they have all these tables they've come up with. And the idea here is that because we have 
microscopic sweat on our bodies. And because cold air is usually drier, when the wind blows, it, it takes off that, that layer of, uh, of microscopic uh, protection and the little heat the, uh, shield that we have around our bodies. And so it'll feel much colder than it is. So if you want to know about wind chill factor, like it or not, now you know. <laughs> so there you go. Well, we're getting close to the end of the show, and I wanted to say thanks to everybody and uh, remind you that I am Dr. Bill, and I'm at Bay Area Medical Can Care Clinic. Uh, we are at 727-384-6411, 727-384-6411. We are in St. Petersburg, Florida. We have in-office visits. We have telemedicine. Uh, we see Canadians and travelers. We have all kinds of diagnostic equipment. Really cool, we just got a C-arm, which is a uh, kind of like a motion picture x-ray machine that you can actually have real-time moving images of people and use, use it for pain management and for locating uh, uh, like a splinter or a piece of metal in the body. So we're, we're doing good. We're doing good. And uh, we hope that you'll come see us. We've got x-ray, lab, ultrasound. I am Dr. Bill. I thank you guys for being with me. Joe, thanks, buddy. You got it, Doc. I'm out of here. In the trench, the black center, all that.